Morning, church. Morning, church. Yeah, there you are. There you are. wonder where you were there for a second. Um, hey, so uh, just uh, uh, one thing. Um, today is uh, Warwick, who was on base there this morning. It's his last Sunday with us this morning. And um, yeah, I've known Warwick for, uh, I don't know, over, well over 20 years. 30. More like 30 years. Um, and so um, it is sad to see him go. Um, it is. Um, but he's just sensing the call of God just to move. Um, and that's, that's, that's all good. That's between him and God. But uh, Warwick, I want you to know, mate, that you've made a contribution into this place. Um, and, I, and I think I want you all to know, just as I say that to Warwick, that, you know, no matter how small your contribution in this place, there's a profound mystery here at Glen Eden that when you make that smallest of contributions, it ripples out into family, thousands of families. Because we are linked, church and trust. And there's a profound spiritual mystery in this space that no matter what you do here, it ripples into families out there. A prayer, playing the bass, whatever it is that you do, it actually does make a difference. Warwick, you've made a difference. And um, mate, you're a good man. Your golf's a bit rough, but <laughs> you're a good man. And um, Lord, we, we wish you the best, bro. We really do as you go forward. And um, pray that you just continue to grow in your faith and in Christ. Um, I want you to know, too, that uh, it's always a place here. Yeah? Bless you, man. Bless you. Um, I might cry this morning. I'm feeling really sad today. I'm feeling really sad today. Um, maybe there's a little bit of the Warwick thing there. Um, but I, I just, I was up at till two o'clock this morning um, and finally went to sleep. Got up at then half past five. Um, just feeling incredibly sad. Um, this week I've had to focus in because, you know, last week we talked about Ecclesiastes. That's the week I should have been sad. <laughs> this is such a depressing book. But I should have been sad that week. But this week I've been focusing in on the church. And, um, man, I don't know. It's just sort of got to my heart, I think, in some way. Um, so if I cry, just bear with me, all right? Is that right, yeah? Um, yeah. We had a beautiful day yesterday. Um, June and Andrew got married. <laughs> Mr. and Mrs. Russell loved saying that. We had a fun time, such a fun time here. Um, lots of laughter. Um, everybody who came was a camera person and a videographer yesterday, so everyone was everywhere. It was a great time. Really, really good. So um, when you see them, um, give them a big hug. They've got a wonderful journey, I think, ahead of them. Um, and they're a lovely couple. They really are. Um, so that's marriage. And, and in a sense, I want to talk a little bit about marriage this morning. Um, there's a 26-year-old boy standing in a church. He's, he's, he's wearing the finest suit he could find in the time. He looks sharp, dapper, actually ruggedly handsome. And he's there with his... Three mates, and his three mates are there to support him and 
encourage him in the journey. And, and in the church on that day, the church is full of family and extended family and full of friends. They're all there to celebrate and to, and to witness this moment that will change your life. The music begins to play, and as the sound rises, so this boy lifts his eyes and looks down the aisle. He sees his bride at the door. And overwhelmed with the excitement of the moment, but more than that, in his mind, he's going, my life is about to change. My dreams now become our dreams. My hopes become our hopes. And the boy thinks I need to sacrifice some stuff for this to work. Because marriage is about commitment. It's about a covenant relationship of devotion and sacrifice. There's no turning back in that moment. Because this boy realized at the age of 26 that he could only have eyes for this woman and no one else. And 37 years later, this boy's eyes are still on this woman. And here we are. In marriage, you've got to be fully devoted, sacrificial. You make investments of time and love, energy. I want to talk to you about Jesus' love for his bride, the church. I want to speak to you about his devotion and his sacrifice for what is for Jesus, the unrivaled passion of his heart. I want to call you today to a vision of the church that is beyond the one that you carry right now. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 5 today. Our passage today is a metaphor. It's, a, it's an image. It's a, it's a picture that stands for something that is much more than a man or woman becoming one flesh. This passage talks about the relationship of Christ with his church and how the deepest meaning of marriage is meant to be a living drama of how Christ and the church are to relate to one another. And I want to challenge you with this because if the church means this much to Jesus, then it ought to mean that much to you and me. Ephesians chapter 5. Starting at verse 25, going to 32, let me, let me read this to you. I want you to listen to this actually with um, a number of different ears. <laughs> Husbands, listen for your role in marriage. Wives, listen for your part in this journey of we call marriage as well. And then listen with this third ear that says you want to hear about this relationship that Jesus has with his church. In the context of this, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church 
and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to be presented to her, her to, him, to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or with any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a profound mystery. But I'm talking about Christ and the church. Verses 31 and 32 are a quote from the book of Genesis. I don't know if you picked up on it. Genesis 2.24, where it says, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and two people then become one flesh. This illustrates how a man and woman leave the old life. They, they leave family relationships and they become something new. Two become one. It's the most intimate relationship you can have. And then Ephesians 5.32 says, this is a profound mystery. But I'm talking about Christ and the church. And so when he's talking about the church, he's referring to the intimacy between Christ and his church, of which you and I are a part of. And with this in mind, we begin to understand the meaning of marriage in this passage. It's a symbol of Christ's love the church, represented in the husband's loving headship towards his wife and a symbol of the church's submission to Christ, represented in the wife's relationship to her husband. And there are kind of, as you read this passage, for me at least, there are three things that kind of jump out of Scripture that kind of bring this together. The first one I'm calling the church is the bride of Christ. The whole context of this passage is about how Jesus wholeheartedly and unconditionally loves the church. You know that moment in every wedding when the bride walks down the aisle to her groom? Everyone rises to their feet. The music soars and the eyes turn to watch the bride come down. Looking radiant and beautiful, adorned in a stunning dress, she seems to float on down the aisle on her way to the man that has captured her heart. As a pastor who takes weddings, I get the best seat in the house. That unique position right at the front there, I get to look down the aisle. But more than that, as everyone's looking at the bride, I always glance at the groom. And when I do that, they're either smiling in anticipation or they're bawling their eyes out because they're unspeakably happy, lost in love for the one who is coming to pledge herself to him. 
And when you see that look on the groom's face, you have this small understanding of the intensity of Jesus' love for the church. You get it? The church in the Bible is made up of those who have been called by the Holy Spirit unto salvation to become God's sons and daughters, His people. It's you, me, and every believer in this place around the world that calls Jesus their Lord and Savior. And when you read that Christ loved the church and gave Himself for her, you might as well be reading, Jesus loves me like that. He loves you like that. The word that Paul uses here is the word agape in the Greek, which refers to this absolute, unself-centered sacrifice of Jesus for our sake. His love never quits, never wavers, it never weakens. It's his love that led him to give his life for his bride. A total voluntary surrender and total commitment to the horrors of bearing our sins in his body on the cross to ransom us from slavery to sin and to welcome us into this relationship with him. His broken body, shed blood are the measure of how far his love goes for us. You and I receive complete forgiveness, justification with what he's accomplished. You see, Jesus is totally committed to the church. And he's totally committed to you. And the more like Christ we become in this relationship, the more we love what he loves. And devote ourselves to what moves him to action. You see, if you're going to be like Jesus, I know you need to love the church. And you need to accept it's not perfect. It isn't. The church will let you down at some point. It will be the source of your greatest frustration and the source of your greatest joy. Isn't that marriage? Sometimes it will be unhealthy. Sometimes it will be really healthy. Sometimes you'll feel supported. Sometimes you won't. Isn't that marriage? Jesus is committed to the church. We just need to realize that it has its flaws. But this is what Jesus died for. The church is the bride of Christ. Secondly, the church is the body of Christ. You see in Ephesians 5.30, it says, For we are members of his body. We are his body. Ephesians 1.22, it expands on this picture and it explains it like this. God the Father has put everything under his feet. That's the feet of Jesus. And appointed him as head over everything for the church. Which is his body. The fullness of the one who fills all things in every way. Jesus is the head of the church. Not me. Not the elders. Jesus is the head of the church. This is his church. He gave his life for this. He loves it. And he loves you. We are like the fingers and toes. 
The eyes and the elbows of the physical body. You see, you're part of Christ's body on earth, which is the church. And just like the various parts of your physical body, we all have a function to play in this body. There's no one in this room or outside of this room that's connected to this church that is unimportant. Nobody. You are all important. Every single one of you. And you all have a part to play. And we play our part so that the church functions as it should. And so it's vital that we all have this strong, growing relationship with the people of God. Where we encourage one another in Christ. Pray for one another. Bear one another's burdens. Let me tell you, you won't get all of that on a Sunday. It happens through the week as we connect with one another. In life groups. And other ways in which we connect. Youth groups and whatever it is. But we have these spaces where we are to encourage one another. To me, the Sunday gathering is the cream on the cake. It's the icing that tastes good. Because it's good to worship together in the presence of our Lord. But the cake that's on the inside, that's the stuff that happens through the week that binds us together, that holds us. So that when we come together on a Sunday morning, Together, it's sweet and tasty. We need to have a strong relationship. Ephesians 4.16 speaks about the body being built up in love as each part is working properly. So what happens when you say, I love you, Jesus, I just don't like your church. That's like saying, I love you, Jesus, but I want no part of your body. No. No, that doesn't work. Jesus needs each and every one of us in this body doing what he's doing, being a part of what he wants. So when you're missing an action, when you're half-hearted, when you're casually committed, the rest of the body is crippled and it's weakened. The church is the body of Christ, and here's the last one. The church is submitted to Christ. So we are the bride, we're the body, and we're submitted to Christ. Ephesians 5.24 says, now the church submits to Christ. So what does a submitted church look like? Here's some thoughts of wrangled together. A submitted church listens and seeks the mind of Christ for what he wants. Some churches, they lay that on the pastor. Sure, that's a big part of what I have to do, but we do this together. We seek Christ together for what he wants for Glen Eden. We carry the vision together, not alone. A submitted church is faithful to transmit Christ's teachings, even if the culture is hostile. We stay faithful to the word of God even when culture says you're wrong. That's a submitted church. A submitted church is committed to doing Christ's work in this world. We're doing that through our Trust Vision West, through Peter and Leonora in India, 
and through others that you might be praying for or supporting. A submitted church is zealous for Christ's priorities. A submitted church understands the importance of being committed to one another for the building up of faith. If I, if, I, if I sum these things up, then our vision for the church here at Glen Eden is to flesh out what it means to be submitted to Christ. Amen? Mm. Ephesians 1, 22 to 23. Jesus is the head of the church. Can't say that enough. Because of his primary role in our creation and in our redemption, he's the head. Let us not forget ever that Jesus founded the church. Remember that. Jesus founded the church and he gave it life through his death and through his resurrection. Ephesians 26, 27, Jesus gave himself up for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. I don't know if you caught all of that. But a church submitted to Jesus is glorious. It's radiant. When we submit our lives to Christ together, this place explodes and it's radiant before Him. When we sing and we worship our Lord in a way in which we are submitted, we bring glory to God. It's radiant. It's without stain or wrinkle. This idea that we have been cleansed by Christ. We have been baptized in the waters of baptism. And we are now new creations in Christ. Moral perfection. Christ sees us as perfect. We are his bride. He's looking down the aisle and tears are coming to his eyes. Because this is his radiant church. It's holy because it's dedicated to God, not to man. And it's blameless because it's without blemish. So finally, friends, Hebrews 10, 25, calls us to a different value system when it comes to the church. It says, let us be concerned about one another in order to promote love and good work. Not staying away from our meetings as some habitually do, but encouraging each other. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. If this church is to be all that God wants it to be, then each one of us needs to be submitted to Christ and connected to one another. If you're on the margins, you're not connected. How do you get connected? Here at Glen Eden... We have a strategy called growing smaller. And the idea is, it's like an oxymoron. But actually that we would all be connected to a life group somehow and in some way. How many of you here, raise your arms, are connected into life groups at the moment? Look at that. You're all connected in. You're connected in. If you're not in a life group... I encourage you, talk to me, we'll get you connected into a life group because it's there through the week that you find your courage and support. Sarah and I are connected into a life group and it is a lifeline for us. 
In fact, it's the first life group I've been in that I haven't been kicked out of as a pastor. I don't have a good track record in life groups at other churches. But this one is fantastic. We have a messenger group that we connect with each other all the time on. We celebrate birthdays and we do it well. We get into the word of God and we pray for one another and we support one another. And it's that kind of connection that keeps our faith strong. It's the meat or the filling in the cake. And when we come together on a Sunday, we see each other. And I see you all. And it's icing on the cake to be together worshipping like this. I encourage you to get connected and to submit. Let's pray.